Lord, this is a powerful passage of Scripture. And I don't want to miss anything that you have for us this morning. And so we, we invite your Spirit to do that which we know you want to do, and that's to reach in and reveal to us the areas that you're working on, to reveal to us the ways that you want us to be different, and not in some, hey, work harder type moment or atmosphere, but rather an invitation almost to allow you to do that which you want and have always wanted to do within us, to walk in step with your Spirit. So, Lord, will you help us to do that this morning? Will you lead us to learn to walk in step with your Spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lane and Pam. Appreciate the, the music this morning as we get started. That song it was somewhat derived from 1 Corinthians 13. You maybe recognize it if you've been to a wedding because that's the passage of Scripture that's shared at virtually every wedding, and, I, and rightly so, and I think it should be. And yet what we miss sometimes, and we'll talk more about this actually next week because I actually took this morning's message and I, I cut it down because otherwise you'd be here a long time. It was just too much material. I, I want so badly to be able to communicate everything that has really been stirring in me, and so I thought the best way to do that is to give you a little bit less today. So I hope that I can, I can do that and keep your appetite wet for what's, what's coming on next week. But this passage in, in 1 Corinthians 13, this love passage that we look at so often, it, it immediately follows this section that Paul talks about to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the gifts of the Spirit. And what we learn in that section, and we'll talk, this is what we'll talk more about next week, but what we learn in that section is that when we come to understand who Jesus is, and we recognize our need for him, and we say, yes, Lord, I realize that I can't save myself. That's what Galatians has been all about. If you've been following with us in the Galatians series, if you haven't caught that message yet, I've failed at communicating it, because that is over and over again what we've been saying. We cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior. And Galatians, Paul is revealing that back to the people saying, hey, you've fallen back into trying to earn it yourself. You're earning it yourself. And Paul says you can't do it. No matter how good you are, no matter how well you follow the law, you can't do it. Forget that. It's by grace and grace only. And yet what we find then is those who have chosen to follow Christ, they're gifted was this supernatural ability that comes only from the Holy Spirit. We talked briefly about that yesterday in our, our men's discussion. There's some things and talents that people have that that's not a gift of the Spirit. You're just, God has gifted you with that ability, but it's not a spiritual gift. But likewise, then, we also have other elements that come in that do, that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Anyway, the, the Corinthian church, they were, they were fighting about the gifts of the Spirit, almost bragging, hey, I'm better than you because I have this gift. And others were saying, no, I'm better than you because I have this gift. God loves me more because I can do this better than you. And it was just skewing this beauty of this gift of the Spirit, what the Spirit was giving. And Paul then, he takes that reality, this conflict that the Corinthian church was having, and he adds to it then this 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and he starts sharing these words of, if I have this gift, if I can prophesy, and I have the power to heal people, and I have the gift of discernment, and I have all of these spiritual gifts, I can do all of these wonderful things empowered by the Holy Spirit. In other words, if I was, had all of them, and I could be that much better than you, but if I lack love, he says, it's nothing. I am nothing. It's empty. And one of the things that I want us to see between this week and next week 
is that not so much the gift of the Spirit, but that aspect of the love and where that love comes from, because that's also a supernatural gift. Not in the gift of the Spirit, but it's a fruit that we're going to see that's produced in those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's one of the things that I want us to be able to see here this morning. So as we step into this, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. If you were with us last time, you remember we, we got into Galatians chapter 5, and one of the aspects that we saw first and foremost was Paul saying, hey, you have this freedom. We're going to look at that verse in just a moment. And with this freedom, be careful that you don't also have license. So this contrast between license and liberty. We're going to see more of that come in. But when we get to verse 16, see, I was going to go into verses 22 and 23, which is the fruit of the Spirit. I was going to spend most of our time there thinking that that's the focus point. That's not the focus point. I came to realize that as I was working through this passage. That's not the focus point. The focus point is on verse 16. And I wanted to see that because we can't handle, we can't look at, we can't own what verses 22 and 23 are saying unless we first take and really own what verse 16 is saying. All right, so we're going to look at this whole section. We're going to look at it more again next week. And, and next week, the hope is that we're going to look a little bit closer when we get into what I would refer to as the fruit of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. We'll look at it briefly here today, but we're going to look a little bit further into that next week. You know, this fingerprint, I was asked this a couple of weeks ago, and, and someone said, what's the deal with the fingerprint? Well, today of all days, when we look at this passage, I feel like this gospel identity becomes a reality. So I, as you know, you, everyone has a fingerprint, at least most of us do. I, I, I don't say this flippantly, but with Bruce and his fire damage, he, he really doesn't. I mean, it's, it's one of those things, but for most of us, we were born with fingerprints. And... And everyone is, is different, at least so they say. I have yet to see one that's, that looks just like mine, but then again, I haven't been arrested yet. Uh-huh. Give me time and maybe they'll, we'll see how that goes. But we all have this, this identity, and we can be identified in a sense by our fingerprint, right? But we're looking at this gospel identity. In other words, so yeah, you can be identified physically with, with your fingerprint, but as a follower of Christ, our identity comes from somewhere else than just our physical, just even our actions, Our identity comes from exactly what we're going to be looking at today. Our identity comes from what the Spirit produces in us. That is how we are known to be followers of Christ. And that's really, it's such a a key. But that's why we have the fingerprint. So if you're wondering, hey, what do you mean by this gospel identity? What do you mean by the fingerprint? Because this is what identifies you as a believer. And everything's going to kind of pour out of that. And so let's look at it. Here we are. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. We covered this last time I was with you. And we're going to see verse 1 and then verse 13, very similar. But this is where we're at last week, so it continues with the flow. We're going to jump to verse 13, and we're going to see, and then we're going to build off of that aspect. So it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The duplicity of that word, it's just, it's, it's there for emphasis, saying, Jesus came to set you free, and guess what he wants from that? He wants you to be free. And what was happening in the contrast with the Corinthian church in particular is they were looking at this freedom and saying, hey, let's then indulge. And Paul's going to caution against that here today. He says, so it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And so these people in the Galatian church, they had been set free. They believed in the gospel. They had been set free by the grace of Jesus Christ. And then their minds got skewed and they went back to believing that they had to do the right things the acceptable things, or God wouldn't accept them. They went backward in their belief. And Paul's saying, you're missing it. That's not freedom. 
And so you've gone back to this yoke. Remember we talked about this yoke? It's what an oxen would pull and pull the cart and, and whatnot. It's just this huge, heavy burden of a beam. And we look at what Jesus says about himself in that yoke. He says, come to me if you're heavy, you're weary, you're burdened, just like these Pharisees were putting these heavy burdens on these people that they couldn't bear it. Come to me and I, I will give you rest. He says, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. In other words, it's such a contrast to this burden of obligation, this burning, burden of doing, this burden of works. And Paul's saying it's not about works, it's about grace. So then we get into verse 13. And he says, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. Very similar to what we just looked at in verse 1. So Paul's emphasizing it once again. He's saying, you've been called to be free. You don't have to live under that burden of obligation, that burden of works. But then he goes on, and this is where we get a shift. He says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly and love. And this is really astounding to me. And I, I wrestled with this quite a bit. And it's like, where are you, where are you getting at? And I, we, at the surface, we see, and it's fairly clear. He says, basically, I understand you're free. You're free to do really whatever you want, but don't use that as a license. You have liberty. Don't be, now use it as a license to go and indulge in all of those desires you have of the flesh. Could you imagine? Okay. You're trying to maybe trained to be healthy. Maybe you're training to run a marathon. You know, and, and, and so you're, you've made the commitment, let's say even on you know, New Year's resolution, I'm, I'm going to work hard at it. And so you start running. Maybe you even get a treadmill at home because it's, it's winter in Minnesota, and in winter in Minnesota you don't really run outside much. You get your treadmill and you use it for a season, then you set it on your curb and say free. I saw one of those Nordic tracks just yesterday on my bike ride, okay? Free. So if anyone wants a Nordic track, remember that? That's that wooden thing that was like, it was all the craze. Okay, hey, it's free. Go get it. Uh, but can you imagine? Imagine, here you are on your treadmill, your stationary bicycle. You're even on your regular bicycle. You're, you're on your Nordic track. And there you are trying to exercise. You're trying to do the work. And then you got, oh, sweet. That's right. Uh, that's right. I'm getting my exercise. It doesn't make sense. You know, consider this. You're, you're riding your bike for exercise, and you, instead of your water bottle, you put in a, a Coke in your bottle cage. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it doesn't add up. Something seems to be askew with that picture. And I think that's what Paul is trying to hit at here. When we look at this, say, you're free. Yeah, you can drink pop. But don't, it doesn't make sense. You know, and so as a follower of Christ, you have liberty. You have this freedom. You don't have to earn your salvation anymore. But there's a better way to live than the junk. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here. There's a better way to live than the junk. So don't just say, hey, I'm free to eat all the junk I want. Yeah, and you can roll yourself out of here when you're done. You know? There's something better. God has something better in mind for us. He says, oh, do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. And then I love this. This is that part that just it kind of it twisted my mind a little bit. Because here he is. He seems to be talking about you as an individual. And he says, you are free. So you, it's talking about you. You are free. You're no longer obligated to these burdens of works to be saved. In other words, you're accepted. You're locked in. It says, so do not indulge in the desires of your flesh any longer. And then he adds this line, in a, and he says, rather, serve one another humbly in love. 
And then that totally, it's a huge shift. It's away from you as being an individual. And now we're talking about community, just like that. And throughout this passage, we're going to continue to see this idea of community. So when we look at our freedom, our freedom is intended to be lived in community because what we're going to find is as this spirit does work in us and produces fruit in us, that fruit is not just so I can be happy and enjoy my fruit. That fruit is designed to serve a larger group than just me. The fruit is designed to be used and loved and shared with the community around you. And that's one reason. There's several, but that is one reason. And I know I'm kind of preaching the choir because you guys are all here. And this is not condemnation for those who are not. But understand the deep value of being together. Understand that deep value of being with us. Not only, you know, for those who are watching online, again, this is not condemnation. This is, this is heart aspect. I'm glad everyone is here. I need you. And you need each other. As the body of Christ, we need, this is, this is necessary. When, when you come here, you bring a value with you just by sitting where you're at and relating to the people around you. Because what you have, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have within you fruit being produced. I'm getting way ahead of myself now, but that's fine. Uh, you're getting fruit that's being produced within you. And that fruit is not for you just to sit there and indulge. That fruit is designed for you to, whoever's sitting next to you, Engage with those. You, you see that? That's, that's really what I think Jesus is getting at. That's what Paul's hitting at here. This is that picture. So rather, now you're free, but don't indulge in the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. He says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping with this one command. And this is Paul. He's really quoting Christ in this. Love your neighbor as yourself, which was an Old Testament command. But Jesus said the same thing. We see it in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God. But Jesus was challenged here at this point. He said, they said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And this was Christ's answer. He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then he goes on without being asked. They didn't ask him, what's the second one? Jesus offers it because it's also that important. He says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Just what Paul just said there. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. All of the law. You know, he's speaking to the Pharisees at this point. I drink that Dr. Pepper, so if I, if I burp, <laughs> I'm so sorry, but I feel it stirring in here, <laughs> so it may at some point. It's just, I'm sorry, it's human, okay? Anyway, I should have picked something else, right? Anyway, all the law and the prophets hang on this. All of these laws that the Galatians were trying to keep, all of these laws that the Pharisees were trying to keep, they're not... They're not so focused on, well, you have to obey the Sabbath, you have to do this, you have to do this. It's based on love of God and love of others. All of those commandments are based. Why do we have them? So that you can take the fruit that the Holy Spirit is generating within you and share it in the midst of community. Matthew chapter 5 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Okay, Jesus didn't come to get rid of the law. The law is still good. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. To abolish law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but I rather I have come to fulfill them. Romans 7 says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Paul says, certainly not. He goes on to say, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. In other words, all this law is good. You're free from the obligation of it, but yet there's still such a value in it as you see the Holy Spirit produce the fruit in you to be expressed 
Galatians 5 then says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping with one, with one command, love the neighbor as yourself. And then he switches it. And again, this keeps in the community, but he goes in, understand this. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. As we look at, this is all basically preface stuff to getting at what the Spirit's going to do in us. Because what the Spirit does in you is not that. You've got to hear that. The Spirit does not lead you to bite and to devour one another. The Spirit doesn't do that. If you have been bitten and devoured, you know what it feels like. That didn't come from the Spirit. The Spirit didn't lead someone to do that. Now, as followers of Christ, do we, we're going to see it. Do we fall into that? Oh, yeah. Yes, we do. I'm guilty. So are every one of you. We're, this is what we're going to see here in this conflict that we have between the flesh and the spirit. And so now get catch this here. I think I got... Uh, yes, I have one more verse and then we get to 16. So one of the things I want to highlight here. So Paul's he's getting at, at this with the Galatians. And one of the ways that the Galatian church would be biting and devouring each other is this obligation to obey the law. So, hey, you've got to obey the law. You've got to obey the law. You've got to obey the law. If you don't, you won't be accepted. So there, there's really some attacking going on amongst each other. Oh, Oh, you lit up a cigarette? I'm sorry. You're going to hell. In a sense, is what was going on. And that is not the gospel. That is not the truth. Okay? So just grasp that. So Paul is pointing out somewhat to what was going on there, but he also, I think, is owning up to his own role in this because he was also guilty of it. We see that reflected back in Galatians chapter 1, if you remember. This was week 1 that we dealt with this, maybe week 2. He says, for you have heard of my previous ways. So remember what Paul was doing. The previous way that he lived, he was all about biting and devouring other people. It didn't matter who they were. He knows when he says this, don't bite or devour each other or you will absolutely destroy each other. Paul knew first and foremost he was guilty of that same thing. Probably more so than anyone else. He says, for you have heard my previous ways in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. So Paul not only is speaking to the Galatians, but he's also reflecting, hey, I'm just as, I'm there with you. I've been there. I've done that. Let's not do that any longer. And then we get verse 16. This is the key. This is the whole key for everything that we're about to read and everything we've just looked at. This is the key. So he says, Paul says, you've been talking about community, okay? You, yes, you have liberty, but don't use that liberty to indulge in things that you know are wrong. Okay, catch that. Rather, he says, love one another just as a neighbor loves themselves, or love your neighbor as, as yourself. So he paints this picture of community in that sense. He says, don't bite and devour each other. You'll destroy each other. And this is his immediate follow-up. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. The Spirit will not lead you to bite and devour each other. The Spirit will not lead you to indulge in the desires of the flesh. We're going to see that more so. The Spirit will not do that. So I say, walk with the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. All right, so we're going to get into looking at verse 16 here. See that word desires? 
I've got another version on, on verse 17. I'm going to show you two different versions of it. One uses the word, one doesn't. I don't really know. I'm not a Bible translator, so I don't exactly know what made them choose to use it or not use it. But we're actually looking at two different words for this word desires. This one, when you see it, the desires of the flesh, really what Paul's hitting on, this word is very specific. This word is this like idea of it's over-desire. In other words, it's almost this addiction. You can't help it. It's so strong, and you just want it. You want more. And once you have it, you want some more still. And that's kind of this picture that Paul is painting with this. All you want the desires of the flesh. You know what it's like to have a thin mint, don't you? Girl Scout cookie time. I buy the thin mints. Sarah buys, what do you buy? The macaroons? No caramel delights. That can take them and leave them. But the thin mints, you open a bag of thin mints, oh, I'm just going to have one cookie. And it turns into, I'm just going to have one sleeve of cookie. It's fortunate that they only put the, the Girl Scout cookies in a small box because you're limited. Unless, of course, you buy multiple, multiple boxes. But you understand what I'm saying? You, you take that bite, it's like, I can't stop. And that's this picture, this desires of the flesh are like that. I just want more. Why do you want more? I don't know. But it's so good, and I want it. And then what you find is it doesn't satisfy, right? And you want more and more and more of it. If you're ever thirsty, and you drink a, a pop, you know, and then what happens? Oh, I'm still thirsty. It doesn't satisfy. It may for a brief moment, but it's just that picture of what we find in this, this fleshly desires that we have. So he says, so walk by the Spirit. If you remember anything from today, just remember that phrase as you leave. Lord, help me to walk by the Spirit. Okay, that is the key of everything we're looking at today. So here we've got two, two different versions of this one. Look at this. For the flesh desires, it's the over-desire of the flesh, right? That's, that's the idea of it. For the flesh desires is contrary, so we have this opposite coming in, to the Spirit. So you have the flesh desires, and then you have what we're going to see is the Spirit desires. They're in contrast. They don't make sense to each other. All right, so what, how, how much sense does it mean or does it make for me to eat a whole bunch of cookies? And it's like, oh, I better eat healthy. I better have a banana to offset it. You understand? That doesn't make sense. In the health realm, it's absurd. It's nonsensical. He says, so these things are contrary to one another. And the spirit is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict. And you have this entire conflict. If you've ever struggled with an addiction, then you know what I'm talking about. And this can be a food addiction. This can be a chemical addiction. This can be a sexual addiction. It makes no difference. This can be a, an addiction for attention. This can be, there's, all of us, some say, and I, I, I hold to it. I think it's true, though I can't, I can't give you all the evidence, say that we all struggle with some form of addiction or another. Okay? And so you got something in there. Maybe it's uh, your addiction for money. I, I don't know what, what your struggles really are. But you have this constant battle within you. The spirit is leading you one way, and yet you know the flesh is leading you another way, and it just seems to never end. Even when you think you have victory over a certain area, certain dependency, you finally like, I thought I had this thing beat. And there it is again. And that's what we're seeing Paul saying here. It's in constant conflict with each other. And I like to say, well, it's just going to go away. That's not what Paul's saying. It's not what Paul's saying. So they're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. 
Okay, so the Spirit's leading you to do away from the things that you don't want to do. Here's the other version, New Living Translation. And the reason I put this in here is because it uses this word desires for both. Because it is true, in the original language, this word for desires, a different word, two different words are used for the Spirit as well as the flesh. And so we have desires of the Spirit, and we have desires of the flesh. Both are existent in the passage. He says the sinful nature wants to do evil. The sinful nature desires, wants. This is that idea of over-desire. It can't help it. It wants more, it wants more, it wants more which is just the opposite of what the Spirit desires. So the Spirit has a desire as well. What's interesting with this is that word that is associated with the desires of the Spirit. It's never over-desire. In other words, you can't desire the Spirit too much. The Spirit's desires that that instills in you, you can't overdo it. He will always lead you to more and more of the good. And you say, oh, I, I obeyed the Spirit. Oh, I've just got too much of the Spirit. That will never happen. It's an interesting contrast in that original language that we don't get in the English. But that's really what's happening here because both words translate into desire for us, but they mean different things in the original language. So, And the Spirit gives us those desires that are good, that constantly are, are being drawn to, that are good, and you'll never have enough, but in a good way, you follow where I'm going that, as opposed to, ah, uh, the desires that just seem to never satisfy. It's like it satisfies, and I want more satisfaction. It's an interesting mindset and concept, and we can't fully get our minds around it because there's an aspect that is a mystery. And the Spirit gives us these desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Ephesians 2, Paul talks about the same thing in other areas. He says, all of us also lived among them at one time. We were there. Whether you have children to follow Christ or not, you know what I'm talking about. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires of our thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And that's the message of Galatians. First Peter 2 says it. Peter says it in a little bit of a different way. He and Paul are very different in personality. It's an interesting way on how they articulate these same truths. And this is how Peter puts it. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. That's that same picture, though. You've got this war going on inside of you. And if you're honest, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you're not honest, then you're not hearing anything that I'm saying. All I'm saying is this is a real battle between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit wants to lead us. Some of us maybe have learned to hear and walk in step with the spirit on a a regular basis. And because we have learned what that spirit is saying to us, we, we do well as we walk with the spirit. But even in the midst of that, I know that there's days where I am doing things that I know the spirit is not leading me to do. It can be my reaction it can be my actions. In either case, I know that there's times where I am not following the leading of the Spirit. And there are other times I know that I am. And the goal in the heart is, Lord, I want to walk in step with your Spirit. And that's hard. We're going to look more at next week as to, I don't, know, I don't like the phrase, how do we get there, but somewhat, how do we get there? So that's what Peter says in this way. Uh, John. 
he says this in one of his letters. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. For everything in the world, the fleshly stuff, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father. In other words, all of this stuff, the Spirit's not leading you to this. The Spirit is rather leading you to the good fruit. And he's saying this stuff of the world, the Spirit's not leading you to that. That doesn't come from God. That doesn't come from the Father. The world and its desires, this is going to pass away. All of this fleshly desires, there's going to come a day where that's not going to be a reality anymore. But the fruit of the Spirit will be. Isn't that something? That's an astounding thought when we look at the two things that are producing fruit. The flesh, all of that someday will be no more. But yet the fruit of the Spirit will continue. Even into the heavenly realm when we look at love, joy, peace. That's what we're going to find. And that's coming up. The world and desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Galatians 5, here we go, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And there's that freedom aspect. It's being led by the Spirit. What are you being led by? Well, if I do the right things in the law, no, you're being led by the Spirit. And now we find this contrast. Here's this battle that we all face every single day. Galatians 5, verse 19 starts. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. We're going to get into these a little bit more in detail next week. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And that's quite a list. And we look at that list. Here's what I think we've done. Is a, it's, a, it's a disservice. And I think it's a mistake. We look at this list and we feel like, all right, that's the list I have to avoid. Yep, that's fine. Okay, I get that. We're going to look at this next list, the, the fruit of the Spirit. And we're looking at that. That's the, that's the list I have to work at. Okay, I understand that. But that's really not what's being communicated here. What's being communicated is the fleshly desires will always produce bad fruit. And the Spirit will always produce good fruit. And remember what verse 16 said? Walk in step with the Spirit. And we're going to see more evidence of it when we walk in step with the Spirit. This will be produced. Do I produce it? Let me ask you this question. Okay. Does the apple produce life? Or does the tree produce life? You know, through the apple. Do you see the difference? It's like saying that I'm going to produce the peach. But if I'm not connected to that which has life, it'll never happen. I know some of you are arguing, like, well, there's a seed inside. If you put it in the ground and you water it, then you'll grow a tree. Cut me some slack. Imperfect illustration. I understand that. Okay? But now catch this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. If I asked you, all right, you ready to eat healthy? Which table are you going to choose? You know which table to choose. Which one did you choose? The acts of the flesh are obvious. We sometimes like to pretend, well, if I have this just a little bit and then I have this, then I'll offset it, I'll be okay. We get mixed up. It is in constant battle. I understand that. And I know I'm using a food illustration and that it's imperfect, but the reality is there. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Don't justify that which is obvious. Paul gives us a warning. And we like to sometimes maybe sweep this warning just kind of under the rug and not really heed it because we try to justify ourselves in the midst of it because no one likes to be guilty. But Paul says, he says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the 
the word here does refer to as this is how you live. This is what you're after. This is what you're pursuing. And there's a contrast here. It's not like, oh, I had a cookie. Now I'm condemned. That's not the message that Paul is giving. And yet when we look at that, it's like, and I justify it, like, that's okay. I will continue in this path. That's good. That's what I want. I, over and over again, that's what Paul is warning at. And it's this very serious warning. And I think we should take the warning seriously. What all he means by it? I don't know, but I better, I better listen to exactly what he's saying. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this, those who have a disregard and don't say, I don't need the fruit of the Spirit, I can do it on my own. That's a strong warning that Paul is giving to us to heed to there. Then we get into the opposite, the fruit of the Spirit. We've heard these passages before. Again, this is where I wanted to go today. I wanted to emphasize this is what the Holy Spirit will develop in us, and it's just true. But we have to look at verse 16 before we ever can really own what's happening on this table here. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit. So we look at the obvious fruit of the flesh. But he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, and now look at this, is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Such things there is no law. An interesting thing. Consider this. We sometimes look at this list. Well, I'm, I'm loving. I don't have a lot of joy. Peace, oh, I struggle with anxiety, so that's not really there. So I've got one out of, I'm two from two and one. You know, I, I, I'm fairly patient, you know, until the kids act up. So it's a give and take on that one, I guess. Maybe I'll give it to me, so I'm two and two. Kindness and goodness, yeah, I'm okay. No, faithfulness, yeah, gentleness, no, I'm not very gentle. Self-control, uh, I know I like the cookies, Okay. And we look at this idea, and so there's like nine of them there, and it's like, well, I'm four and five. Well, if I got five good ones and four, then I'm doing okay. We measure it in that way, but that's not what Paul's getting at here either. What Paul is referring to is the fruit, and it's singular. The fruit of the Spirit. You know what this means? This doesn't mean that in some of you he's going to create love. He's going to produce love. This doesn't mean that in some others of you he's going to produce joy. Well, that's such a joyful person. I wish I had that kind of joy. For some of you, you seem to have patience beyond patience. You should spend a day with our kids. Okay? I love you guys. You're really, really good. Sometimes I say things without being... They're, they're wonderful children. Thank you. But this idea that we're looking at here, it's all of it. It's all of it. The Spirit wants to produce in me love. The Spirit wants to produce in me joy. I say, oh, I'll work hard. I'll be more joyful. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Spirit wants to produce a new patience. Spirit wants to produce a new kindness. You know, they say, if the Spirit wants to produce a new patience, it's going to give you opportunities to have patience. You know? Brad. Producing new kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We look at this and we go into try-hard mode. I'm convinced of that. Well, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. And yes, we have a responsibility. But a responsibility goes back to verse 16. And it's to walk in step with the Spirit. And if you're not hearing the Spirit, that's what we're going to be dealing with next week. Do you hear that? You've got to hear the heart of this. The Spirit wants to produce this in you. And I'll be the first to say, I look at that list and say, Wow. Is the Spirit even alive in me some days? The answer is yes, but maybe I'm so focused on this that I'm not really seeing and hearing and allowing that Holy Spirit to do that work in me. Where are you at? 
Is the Spirit doing that fruit production in your life? If you see, it's like, well, I'm, I'm pretty loving, but I'm not very gentle, then you need to walk in step with the Spirit. Again, more on that, that next week. But that's, that's that, this is that point, that's an encouraging challenge, that we all are in it. We all fail. We all mess up. We all say things we shouldn't. People are going to hurt us. We're going to hurt people. And yet we're called to walk in step with the Spirit. And as we walk in step with the Spirit, we can be confident that this is what will be being produced. And yet it's in constant battle because we know the other things that we enjoy and we want. Walk in step with the Spirit. Matthew 7, Jesus says this. He says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. You can tell by their fruit. Do people, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And that's very similar to the warning that Paul gives. Finally, a couple of verses left, and we're going to invite the worship team up. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. More on that next week as well. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And that's my heart and my prayer for each one of us, that we can learn to walk in step with the Spirit.